0: Recovery Elevator episode 389.
1: So I had started kind of understanding that what the problems I was facing was because of the alcohol, it wasn't taking away the problems. It was actually putting gasoline onto the fire.
0: Uh, Like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. (laughs) Yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. wiki. Three. Mix down
1: there we go seven
0: eight wiki wiki
1: mix down
0: Pie's in the house <laughs> i love it wiki wiki mix down there we go welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul churchill and it's so good to be here with you on today's episode we have christy she's 42 years old she's from denmark and took her last drink on april 5th 2022 great job christy Real quick, I want to tell Susan M to keep moving forward. You can do this. I believe in you. And I also want to thank all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. Y'all do a fantastic job. Listeners, RE is going back to Costa Rica this upcoming January 20th to the 31st, and registration opens up today. For the most part, this is a different itinerary than the trip we did last year, and we added an extra day at the beach. We start in San Jose, then head to La Fortuna for some stand-up paddleboarding at Lake Arenal, then head to Rincon de la Vieja National Park for some jungle exploring and a volcanic mud bath, then we go to Playa Carrillo for a surf lesson and some smoothies. We've got yoga and recovery workshops built into this trip, and it's going to be a lot of fun, just like the last one. For more information, there's a link in the show notes, or go to recoveryelevator.com and go to the events page. And Before we get any further, let's hear from Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. Listeners, today I want to give you a practical quitting drinking tip that I recommend you try. This is called journal speak, which is probably the most informal, writing from the cuff type of journaling that you can do. I learned about this type of journaling from a podcast called The Cure to Chronic Pain with Nicole Sachs. I was listening to a podcast about some back pain that I've been experiencing. It's much better now, thankfully. But the journal speak that she teaches is also very applicable to ditching the booze. So today I'm hoping to bridge the gap. Okay, let's do it. What's the point of journal speak? The point is to get unprocessed, uncomfortable emotions out of you and onto a piece of paper, a note, a napkin, a post-it note, a scroll, a computer screen, whatever. Journal speak also makes you feel less alone. It's as if there are two of you, which there really are. Another point is you begin connecting with you. So here at Recovery Elevator, We do believe the opposite of addiction is connection, as Johan Hari coined in a TED talk. A major component of this is connecting with the raw, unheard, vulnerable, pissed off version of you that exists. It's there. So when you feel a craving coming on, this is one of the best times to do this journal speak because there's a part of you that's screaming to be heard. Okay, let's talk frequency. It's best to do this two times a day, first thing in the morning, and then before you go to bed at night for one hour. I'm kidding on that. Let's get real. Nobody has two hours a day to journal. But the good news is, is you don't need much time to do this. I set a timer for five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. Also, you can do this as needed throughout the day. And listen, I don't do this every day. I try to do it a couple times a week. And as I mentioned, sometimes it's as needed. If I'm pissed or I'm feeling fear, sometimes I grab a pen, paper, and just let it fly. Okay, when I say journal-speak, I'm not referring to you opening your leather-bound diary, writing the date, and beginning with, Dear diary, today I went to work and my parking spot was taken, none of that stuff. In fact, I don't recommend you keep any of this journal-speak. Get rid of it, that's the point. So journal-speak is full of incomplete sentences, horrible grammar, expletives if you choose, shitty illustrations, and giving that pissed off or sad little kiddo inside permission to speak. In fact, that's really who's doing the talking here. Yes, alcohol in itself is highly addictive, but most likely you are unconsciously or consciously using alcohol to repress emotions or shitty memories. Getting this excess mental baggage out of your head and onto paper is the beginning of letting it go. Once you're done writing, throw it away. Burn it. Command A, delete. It's out. It's gone. It's been heard. The energy has been moved. Throw that shit away. Make the disposal of this journal speak part of the ritual, part of the routine. Toss it. You know, after all, it's garbage. It's not serving you anymore. Listeners, I always feel better after my short journal speak sessions. And sometimes I go way longer than my five-minute timer because things just keep coming out. Let whatever wants to come out, come out. In fact, it may surprise you. So as Nicole Sachs said in her podcast that when she wrote the words, I hate being a parent, It both surprised her and made her feel lighter. Of course, she loves her kids, but sometimes she hates being a parent. So some things that I wrote surprised me as well. Things I was fearful of, but I didn't know it. Things I was avoiding, but didn't know it. Things that pissed me off, but I was letting it happen. It's bringing all of this stuff to the surface and bringing it to light. Journal speak can cure your pain, both physical and emotional. Now, is this woo-woo? At first, yes, to me it did sound a bit woo-woo, but let's go quantum. And side note, my first car at age 16 was a 1982 Volkswagen Quantum, which I feel qualifies me to talk about this. Okay, quantum science. When you take a thought which has an atomic weight swirling in your brain and you place that thought on paper, two things happen. First off, you lessen the energetic density of that thought in your own brain. It was in your brain as an energetic thought, but now it's also On a piece of paper, perhaps in the form of graphite if you're using a pencil, or even on a screen. Next, when you see with your eyes that thought in physical form on paper or the screen, the thought or the wave collapses. Another way to say that, it's like that wave lands on the shore, like an ocean or a lake, and the energy starts to dissipate. It can then move on. So the energy of this thought hits the paper and then it softens. Trust me listeners, you will feel better after these journal speak sessions. I'm batting a thousand on this one. Funny story, when I was 22 years old, I was waiting tables at a restaurant in Edwards, Colorado, when I heard what sounded like somebody jumping on the roof. In fact, I was taking an order at the time when I heard the noise, and I told the table, I said, yeah, I think somebody is fixing a leak on the roof. When I walked back to the office to see what was going on, I saw my manager writing with a red sharpie on a large shard of plastic, which used to be attached to the printer. And this is what he wrote. This printer is a total fucking piece of shit. I kid you not. This is a true story. Now I don't blame him. Printers always jam run out of ink just at the right moment. I can blame at least a couple relapses on my old Epson printer especially the M100 series and the ink reloading process and system. My goodness. Anyways, later on this job, this person told me, my manager, that this was a technique he used to help manage his anger or his emotions. True, he broke the printer first, then pulled out the Sharpie, but progress, not perfection. And listeners, speaking of printers, I kid you not, just before I was going to record this episode, my wife asked me if I could come take a look at the printer. More specifically, the HP OfficeJet 4630 series to clear a paper jam. Listeners, there was no paper jam. I didn't lose my shit on the printer, but I did feel a tightening in my chest. But after some deep breaths, I got it working. But really, I have no idea what I did besides turn it off and turn it on. Okay, back to journal speak. One more tip with this. Journal speak can help you locate your voice when you're in the middle of a craving, so try to say the words quietly, if you want, as you write them. So while you're writing, you'll also say, why did they cancel Alf?" or whatever? So another big pro of journaling or journal speak is it slows down your mind because you can't write or type as fast as the brain can think. So really try to locate that voice that is angry, that wants to move the energy and write with that voice. All right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had fun putting it together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Christy.
2: Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life... I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator.
0: Christy, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Paul. Hope you are.
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm excited to learn more about you and your journey away from alcohol. Christy, let's get into this. When was your last drink?
1: My last drink was April 5th of 2022, so 80 days ago.
0: 80 days ago. Congratulations. How do you feel? Thank
1: you. I feel fantastic. Better than I ever expected.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, I'm excited to learn more about you and your story. But first, give listeners a little background about yourself, Christy, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, you have a family, what's your age, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Super good questions. Uh, Yeah, my name is Christy. I am living in Denmark. I have been in Denmark for the past four years. Prior to that, I was in North Carolina, uh, born and raised in North Carolina. I'm 42 years old. Uh, I work in a space of IT uh, as an agile coach, which means that I help companies in producing or creating value in their company in different ways with projects. And uh, I have two children, a 14 year old boy. And a seven-year-old boy. And I have a husband who we just celebrated 25 years of being together and 18 years of marriage. So we met in high school. So yeah, it's been a, a really good celebration time here this past month.
0: Yeah. Congratulations with that. Now, questions with Denmark. Yeah. Are you in Copenhagen? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm right on the outskirts of Copenhagen in in Gentofte. So it's about like, I would say like 10 to 15 minutes uh, north of Copenhagen.
0: Mm, okay. Real quick, what's the difference between North Carolina and Copenhagen?
1: Oh, geez. Or Denmark? Um, Yeah, there's a lot of differences. For me, as a parent... You know, the, the ability to raise my children in an environment where they are safe uh, to the point that I don't have to be a helicopter mom took me some time to get to the point that I could kind of let my shoulders down. But they take the bus by themselves. They ride their bikes by themselves. They go to amusement parks by themselves. They do tons of things uh, by themselves. And I feel like it's just a great environment to raise children in. The food is a little bit different, I will say, and the weather is drastically different. Um, You know, we now are going in this period where the sun comes up at like 3 a.m. and doesn't set until about 11 at night, but then we have the opposite in the winter where it's just dark all the time. So that can be a little depressing. Um, and of course here in Denmark, we do not have the humidity. So we don't, you know, we don't go outside and start sweating like I used to in North Carolina. So those are some of the things that I yeah. can mention difference wise.
0: Yeah. It's hard to compare, not quite apples to apples, but I do recall yeah. going to Denmark in 2007 in November or early December. And I do recall yeah. the sun going down at like 3.30 PM. Yeah. Um, yeah. And rising quite yeah. late, but yeah, it's, it's really far North Denmark is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very. Okay.
0: All right. Let's do what we came here to do as Chris says, let's talk about your journey away from alcohol. When did you, yeah. when did you first start drinking? Talk to us about the role alcohol has played in your life. When did you recognize yeah. that alcohol was a problem? Did you ever attempt to moderate There's mm. a lot of questions packed in there? We got plenty of time. Uh, let's hear it.
1: Yeah. You know, it, I was always labeled the boring child or the good child. Um, I'm an only child. But but being, you know, coming up, I was I was kind of labeled. My parents would always look at me and say, thanks for being such a boring kid. Uh, I really didn't get into too much trouble. And that was because I was in a lot of sports and a lot of music. And I was very active in a lot of things. I will say, though, you know, alcohol was always a part of who of me growing up it was just always in the house there was never a day that alcohol wasn't present it was something that was there and at an early age i remember we have the dare program at school right when they talk about the drugs and all that kind of stuff and i remember going huh that's not normal (laughs) like what what's happening at home's not normal so um that was kind of the early maybe something's not right here but that that kind of Planted a seed for me where I said, you know what, I'm I'm not gonna be that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the right path, right? So I kind of knew what that that road led to, and I wanted an opposite road. So I started going down that path. College, you know, again, I met my husband very early. We lived together early. We worked uh, through college. I mean, I did. I kind of stayed out of the whole college scene, if you will. I went to App State in the mountains of North Carolina. It was great university, but I didn't do the whole you know partying stuff. That wasn't really what I did. Fast forward to 2004. So now I've graduated college. Uh, I moved back to uh, North Carolina or in the city of North Carolina, Raleigh, Cary area of North Carolina, and was kind of getting my foothold. I had just bought a house with my husband. We just got married. I mean, all of these great things to celebrate. And I felt on top of the world. I still drank, right? There was still, dr- I mean, I would have drinks on the weekend. I would, you know, those kind of things, but it was nothing that was a flag. Nothing. Uh, I always, was very good about moderating and then 2004 came and I got a phone call from my father that said I've been diagnosed with lung cancer and my world was completely upside down I was 25 years old in 2004 and my dad was 47 and of course that just hit me out of nowhere that was a rock for me um, you know just thrown right through the glass door and I remember not knowing really how to process it or not how how to handle it but I knew that I needed to be strong and that was of what they named me actually was the rock so i was strong through all of that my father went into remission in 2005 and then it returned in with a vengeance in 2006 spreading and he passed uh, late 2006 i was 27 and he was 48 so as you can imagine this was a very tough time for me and not knowing how to process it i did go to some grief counseling but i could kind of feel that things were still unsettled within me. But I kind of just pushed through, right? I had to be strong. I had to be that person that could could help my mother because she was by herself at that time, right? So then fast forward, we kind of, I went through some counseling. I went through some good stuff. And then 2007, I got the joy of giving birth to my oldest son, who's now 14 years old. And after that birth, I don't know if it was hormonal. I'm not sure what happened, but the anxiety really kicked in and the blood pressure diagnosis kicked in and things were just at a miss. So there was a medical aspect to this or kind of a imbalance that was taking place. Uh, went to see counseling, but ultimately I remember just not, being, not feeling right, not feeling something was wrong or the anxiety was taking me over. And what I found is that the bottle was just a, such a great medicine to help with that. And so I started having panic attacks or, you know, anxiety attacks. And I would find that drinking would actually kind of make it so my brain would shut down so that I wouldn't think about things and not escalate to an anxiety attack. So that's where I really started leaning into it and found that, wow, this can really help me shut down and not have to think about things. Uh, And then we move into the seven-year period. So my son uh, was born in 2007. And then there's about seven years of kind of just trying to push through. I I was still in counseling, but I was still drinking kind of heavy, but not super heavy. And then the birth of my youngest son uh, came and it was a great delivery. No no problems there. But the anxiety, the hormonal imbalance came right back. Uh, And this time it came back with a vengeance. And I remember the bottle, right? So then I started... I was in counseling as well, but I remember my mother-in-law very specifically, I was sitting on the couch and I was having anxiety attack and she just hand me a glass of wine and I was feeding my child at that time. So I couldn't, but I I remember that being like, oh, it's acceptable. Like I can do this. This is the mommy culture, right? Like I can do this. This is what we do for this. Then it kind of down spiraled from there, like uh, 2014 and onward, it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, And then four years ago, I was probably at the point where I, we were gonna move to Denmark. And I said, okay, you know, the drinking has gotten under, uh, is, is out of control. I would hide, I would, I was to the point where I was being sneaky, right? I was lying, I was being sneaky. I was doing things that I knew were not right to do. And that it, that it, it was just such a, a slow progression that it didn't seem like it was one day to the next. It was very subtle. But I remember thinking, wow, this move to Denmark, right? This could be my geographical savior. I could totally move. And then I don't have the uh, the same stores. I don't have the same routines. I don't have all of these things. That will cure me, right? That will cure everything. It didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me ask you a question about the geographical yeah. cure there. Yeah. I've gone through that as well. And this beautiful plan yeah. gets created, formulated in the brain. And it's like, oh, everything's going to stay behind. Mm-hmm. Do you recall when you first went to the liquor store that first couple of times, you're like, uh, wait a second, this is still here. Was there a moment where you realize, wait a second, it's still here.
1: Yeah. I think for me, it was the sneakiness uh, coming back into play where I realized that I could, I could one, get money back on my card at the grocery store and then take that money to get alcohol, right? That sneakiness part of it. And then two, I was like, oh, well, I can just It's here. It's in the stores. I mean, Denmark is very open about their, so I could, I could get it anywhere. It wasn't like when you go to Norway or Sweden, where you have to go to a separate store to get alcohol, you get it anywhere. I mean, convenience store, whatever. And I just thinking, I I remember walking into the store the first time and getting that bottle of wine and going, okay. But at that point, I wasn't trying to moderate. I wasn't trying mm. like I, at that point, it wasn't a, I shouldn't get a bottle of wine, right? It was the, I should get a, a separate bottle, a second bottle so that I can hide it. So I can have the first with my husband and then have a second by myself. So yeah, that, that part, that part, or that point in time was not me saying, I have a problem now to the point that I would like to stop. It was a, you just need to moderate um, mm. type okay. of thing, right?
0: Okay. If it launched that makes sense a, all. a whole different uh, strategy plan yeah. to moderation, and we'll yeah. get to that in a yeah. second. But they yeah. I want to back it up one second. I'm sorry to hear about yeah. your father's passing with a diagnosis Thanks. at age 25 for you. Now, addiction, drinking problems, how they take hold, how they grab root—extremely yeah. complex, right? Yeah. The Western world of medicine has dedicated fields of study to this. However, there's one major consistency. After doing a couple hundred of these interviews, is life stressors. Now, looking back yeah. on your entire journey. If you were to do a bar graph of your drinking of when it increased, when it ramped up, mm. I think your father's death was a, w- was a big one or that whole, okay. that whole process with it and how you, how you leaned in and, and found a medicine. Yeah. I think that's the word you use with alcohol. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, can you comment on your father's passing um, and, and how that took alcohol and changed your relationship a bit with alcohol?
1: Yeah. So, you know, my, my parents were drinkers like I said before, right. And I wasn't, but I. I knew there was something there. Like I said, when I couldn't process it and I had that first drink, I kind of understood that that could take away the pain. I remember when my dad was in, when he was re-diagnosed in 2006, I remember drinking to the point that I couldn't even stand up and crying in the bathroom, just praying that he, God would not take my dad, right? Well, how dare you do this to me? How, you know, I've, I've done everything that you've asked of me. I'm, I go to church. I do all these things. Like, how could you? So I was, I had two sides. It was like, I was pushing away from my faith. And at the same time, I was leaning into something that was very toxic mm. uh, for myself. So, you know, that was, it definitely, when my dad passed, my mother was kind of, I couldn't trouble her. I couldn't bother her with my problems. She had her own problems. And so I didn't know how to deal with it. And the only, and I had a very supportive husband, but I felt like I needed to deal with it alone. And dealing with it alone meant that I needed to take the medicine necessary to shut mm. my brain off and not to process it. Even though I was in counseling, I had a great counselor and everything was was great there. But there is something about trauma that kind of, for me at least, the trauma that uh, that I endured Definitely opened up the 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 floodgates to say, uh, you know, this is how it's you know this is how it's going to be, and it also led to the health anxiety that I had later on, and still deal with actually.
0: Christy, thank you. And that was the word I was I want to say looking for, but it's trauma, yeah. right? Doctor Gabor yeah. Mate, who in my opinion is one of the addiction gurus of our time, he links all addictions to trauma, past trauma, and we sometimes when we hear trauma, we think of physical violence or whatnot, or you have to be deployed to a different country to a, to a war zone, but their life stressors, their family members passing away losing a job. Those are all traumatic. Yeah. Sometimes with a big T little t, it doesn't matter. And the body can almost be like a submarine. We store those emotional records in different parts of the body in the Western world. We aren't taught or it's not acceptable to let those emotions out. There's mm we're working on that. Right. And I think, I think a lot of paradigms in this world are shifting to, to recognize that we're all not robots and we're not mechanical in that sort. So, okay. So we're in, we're in Denmark and you recognize, all right, yeah. the drinking is here, but I've got yeah, a new yeah. plan. It's called moderation. Let's, uh, that let's didn't work. F- <laughs> Yeah, t- <laughs> tell, tell us about some of those moderation, uh, techniques.
1: It was horrible. It was really bad. Um, we would, you know, there would be days that I wouldn't work. I wouldn't go to work and 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 i would just start drinking early i would go to the store early because my husband was gone to work the kids were gone to school and i would just start drinking early and i didn't really have a reason why it was just because i didn't want to feel and why didn't i want to feel i don't know i was in this great new place i was i had all of these things to look forward to but for some reason this had completely taken over my my reason reasonable thinking like i just i didn't have it it wasn't there and then it got to the point where i was sneaking and then we, then COVID happened, right? And when COVID happened, we actually moved out of the city and we moved up north, Gentofta, which is in a house, thank goodness, because we were in an apartment before. I can't imagine two years of that. And then it got even worse from there, where it was, you know, I was going to the store. I would make excuses to go to the school, store. I would go into the store. I would, um, go into a bathroom at a local bakery and down an entire bottle of wine before i even set back foot into the house i mean it was it was really bad uh, for me at least that was that was kind of a point where i would look in the mirror and go what are you doing to yourself then i started having these panic attacks i've had anxiety in the past but i had never had true panic attacks before and it started with a a plane trip to barcelona uh, to the point that i threw up and i was hyperventilating and all of these things not knowing it was the alcohol that was poisoning my central system. Like it was my nervous system was being poisoned by alcohol, but I thought the alcohol would actually take away the the the, the panic attacks, right? So it was this, this vicious cycle that I was then. So I had that in Barcelona. Coming back, I had the same. And then I had a point where I was on the interstate and my husband was going over a bridge and I lost it. the point i was crying and hyperventilating and i told him he had to pull over because i had to drive he could not drive anymore and i remember coming home from that trip just bawling and going i can't do this anymore something is wrong and what i honestly started doing was googling anxiety and alcohol and trying to figure out the correlation between the two and there was so much written about it and i went okay and i went to my doctor and i was very honest with her i mean very honest and very blunt and she's phenomenal. And I said, I got a problem and I don't know what to do about it. And it's, it's eating me alive Mm. at the same time list. I started listening to podcasts, right? So I had started kind of understanding that what the problems I was facing was because of the alcohol, it wasn't taking away the problems. It was actually putting gasoline onto the fire. So with her help, I was able to get a counselor, um, and work through some of the stuff, some of the trauma, which we're still working through to today. And then also listening to podcasts and finding the RE family was really important as well as part of that journey. So I started seeking, I needed something to, to hold on to because what I was doing wasn't working.
0: Yeah. I think one of the most vicious parts about alcohol is for a time in our life, it's a wonderful coping strategy, but then the coping strategy becomes the reason why we cannot cope. And, yes. and dealing with that, coping with that fact alone, wrapping her head around that's extremely difficult. Let's, let's go back to the anxiety for a second. I know when you started talking about anxiety, myself and listeners, there's a lot of heads nodding. Was mm-hmm. the anxiety anxiety? Was it like the day after you drank after oh, a or whatnot, or just at random mm-hmm. moments? And for sometimes some of the peaks of the anxiety that I had, it was like the little or, or, or like the bigger me or like the soul, the little Paul inside was like screaming, saying, Hey, we're losing control here. Like, this is almost like, we got to do something about this now. And I recall some of those intense anxiety moments was like the little Paul, the soul trying to recognize, to locate me and saying, yo, all systems on deck, something's, something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit more about that anxiety.
1: Yeah, I think early on when I had the anxiety with the kids, it was health anxiety, which is very natural because my father just died of lung cancer, right? So everything was, what's wrong with my kid? I was a first time mom, like it was all health related. Uh, I would feel nodules and think, oh my God, I need to go get an x-ray, all of these kind of health things. And that counseling definitely helped with that. But then in 2021, when we were in Denmark and we had the flight and, and the bridge episode, it was very much that little Christy in me going, what the hell is going on here? This is not normal. This is not natural. What are we doing? And and how are we supposed to process this? But a part of me didn't want to listen to that little Christy. Part of me would just say, shut up and, you know, keep drinking. I, my phrase to myself, and I would say it out loud is don't think, drink, which is horrible. But the, I, I, it was a motto that I, I had for myself. But the anxiety got to a point where, you know, like you're saying, I would I would get to the point where I would say, I need to drink to get rid of the anxiety, but the anxiety is there because I'm drinking. And I had both. I had anxiety like the bridge losing control. So the bridge and the plane, that's a key classic sign of losing control. I'm not in control. I'm not driving. I'm not flying the plane, right? That's a control issue. Um, That's part of it, then I would definitely have the shakes in the morning right so I would have these uh, tremors or shakes in the morning, uh, as well as kind of you know the hangover kind of the headspace being in a weird place very depressed and I never had been really a, a depressed, I've been anxious, but not a depressed person, uh, very anxious after drinking. Um, and then all the shame that comes with it, right? Like the, oh my God, how did this happen again? You said you wouldn't do this again. You know, your your son had to put you to bed. You're a loser of a mother. I mean, all of these things, right? And then the shame, again, a vicious cycle makes you want to go out and drink again, right? So it's just, how do you stop that cycle? And I, I think, Everybody always says it, you know, it works until it doesn't work. And for me, I just said, I I'm, I'm tired of feeling this way.
0: And Christy, you said a line earlier, which we all say, you said, this has got to stop. Now I said that 15 times, but this wasn't alcohol until the very end. I said, this has got to mm. stop the anxiety. This has got to stop the yeah. depression. This has got to stop. Maybe it's binge eating. This has got to stop. Uh, maybe it's some other behavior, but the very yeah. last time I said, okay, this is referring to alcohol has got to stop. And for me, yeah. that's when all the doors were unlocked. When I took my energy and started placing mm. it towards alcohol which was the foundation, the core that was fomenting all of those other uncomfortable feelings and emotions and and disruptions in my life. This has got to stop alcohol for you. Take it, take it from there.
1: Yeah, this has to stop. And I can resonate with what you're saying because I always said, you know, you need to eat better. You need to go for walks. You need to go to the gym. You need, you know, these things need to change and then the anxiety will be better, right? It was everything else needed to change until I realized like it it was until, you know, the little Christie inside me had like the neon sign and like the honkers going off going, no dummy. It's, it's actually the alcohol. And I, you know, there was no denying it anymore. I, I think I denied it for so long. And then there was just a day where I just said, I'm, I'm tired. I'm so tired. And I had, I had up till that point, pointed everything else that was wrong. Well, if my kids weren't stressing me out, I wouldn't drink. If my husband wasn't you know, nagging me about something, I wouldn't drink. If work wasn't stressful, I wouldn't drink. It was everybody else's problem. It wasn't my problem, right? Uh, But that's not true. That's not how it is. It is my problem. And it's something that I have to do uh, in order to fix the situation, to fix me. And not that I'm fixed by any means, right? But I'm on the right path of feeling good and feeling like I'm in a good headspace.
0: One more thing on the life stressors. We talked about your, your father, yeah. your, your two children. There's this thing last couple of years. I uh, forget what it was. Forget what it was. Oh, COVID. <laughs> Sorry. That was a bad joke, yeah. but COVID right. One, <laughs> yeah. there's so yeah. many people I've talked to. It's like, oh, and then COVID hit. Yeah.
1: It yeah.
0: sounds like you had to relocate again, dislocate from your, yeah. your apartment in, in Denmark, moved to another yeah. place. Um, before we talk about your time away from alcohol, just comment real quick on how COVID affected your journey.
1: COVID was hard. It was difficult for everyone, but for me, I think this idea that you know I'm a working mother and to work and then have two kids at school. I mean, two kids at home because school wasn't happening. And the 14 year old should be able to do what he is told to do, but actually sometimes it was the seven year old that could be left to do what he needed to, and it wasn't the 14 year old. So I, I. I was very much feeling like I had all these hats on my head and it was an extremely stressful time. I couldn't go to the gym. I mean, I could go out for walks, but again, it was just, it was so stressful. It was very overwhelming for me, uh, this new routine that we had come with. And I love my children, but good gracious, they needed to go somewhere every so often so that, you know, I could have my recharge time and I didn't have that recharge time. And that was, that was taxing on me.
0: Sure. Now, was there a rock bottom moment or is this something that sounds like you were just tired, just ready to make the change?
1: There was lots of rock bottoms for me. I mean, again, there was all these signs being held up saying, Hey, you know, stop it. What you're doing is not working. You need to quit it for good. You know, you can't moderate. I mean, there was tons of signs, but for me, there was one vivid thing that happened, which was I had my youngest son had a, a friend over. And I had gone to the store, as I normally do, had my, you know, pre-come-home drink. And then once was home, I also had another, you know, another bottle stashed somewhere. And I got to the point so uh, inebriated that I had to be put to bed by my children. And that, to me, was just the lowest blow. Uh, And then my oldest son um, actually started receiving counseling. He knew something wasn't right, and he felt... was being put into situations that that kids should not be put into they don't they shouldn't have to put their mommy to bed and my husband shouldn't have to lie to my children and tell them that mommy's taking medicine that makes her sleepy Mm -hmm. so there was just all of this sneaking and lying and and that was the last straw for me like I that's I I honor being a mother and I'm taking it for granted so much that 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 was it I was just completely over it and done
0: Gotcha. Now, if I understand correctly, this 80 days alcohol-free isn't the yeah. first time you, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. you had some time, time together. Um, so, yeah, so talk to us about the journey away yeah. from alcohol when you started a log yeah. time. Was it, you know, it, wasn't a one and done thing. We're on a second round mm-hmm. here with 80 days. And, no. and for me, it wasn't a one and done thing. It was about a 400 and done thing or many, many day ones. Right. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a really good point. So before this 80 days, I did have uh, what I call field research, right? I went back out thinking, Oh, you know, I got this, this is great. And before that, it was it was 70 days. So I had gone 70 days and then had this and now I'm at 80 days. But before then, just like you, I had tons of day ones, right? Like, Oh, I'm not gonna do it was always the wake up in the morning, have a hangover and say, I'm never doing it again, just to start drinking by 5pm. I mean, like seriously. But when I really started taking it seriously, you know, it was, it was to the point where, like I said, it was, it was impacting my family. It was impacting us as a, as a married couple as well. I remember my husband looking at me and again, we've, we've been together for a really long time. I remember him looking at me and saying, I don't think we're going to make it. And I just, my heart Hmm. completely came out of my chest because for me, this was, Forever and ever. Amen. This was for better or for worse. You know, he's been through some hospitalizations. I've always stuck by his side. And I felt really hurt by that. I felt like I was being, yeah, I just felt very casted out. And it really hurt me to the core. Uh, so I had some some kind of resentment there on that. And I think part of that, when I when I did have my field research, it was kind of like, well, you know, he's not going to stay around anyways, or he doesn't care enough to stay around or whatever. It was almost like this angry type of go back in, out to the field. And then I realized, you know what? You can't do it for anybody else but yourself, Christy. Like you cannot do it for anyone else. So do it for yourself, right? So that's kind of where I've stuck now is that I'm in such a good place and I have so many good things going that I know what would happen if I do go back out and what would happen if I did drink that I would, I would ruin a lot of great progress, not only with my family, but with my career, with my, my, uh, gym, everything that I'm doing and trying to progress towards. So again, playing it forward and understanding what that would look like, but yeah, you know, and, and the shame that comes in when you have to do a, a reset on a, on a, a day calendar can can also play with your mind. And I don't think people should let that play with their mind. Right. Uh, 70 days away, uh, even though I went back out, uh, that was 70 days that I didn't. Right. And I learned a lot from that experience. So, you know, as long as we're learning, as we're going through this journey of sobriety, I think that is a win. It's a plus for me, uh, no matter how many day ones you have.
0: Christy, I love your outlook on that and resetting the sobriety tracker. Right it's not a waste. You learn something from it. As long as we're still moving forward around that it's, it's not a waste. And I think, and I'm, I'm a big fan of AA, but they almost put too much stock into, into continuous sobriety time in my opinion. Right. And I've seen people come in after a long sobriety time, completely demoralized and dejected because of the shame when yeah. in reality, you know, maybe, maybe you drank 1% of the, you know, one day out of the year it's. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. So, what was it like those first couple days, eighty days ago? Um, Because you do have to have a Herculean effort and say, "All right, I'm making a change."
1: Yeah, it's hard. I think the first for me, it's always the first four days. It's a it's a physical thing too for me. Uh, I think my mind is just so foggy. It's so foggy when I drink that it, it and there's a you know a central nervous system thing that's happening too. I think hormonally for me at least that I'm trying to to kind of get over that. And at the same time, I started counseling again. So it's like, you know, now I'm going through some trauma stuff, which is really difficult to deal. So I'm having to kind of be vulnerable and feel the pain that I've been trying to numb for so long and talk about it openly. But you know, the only way for me to go through it is to go through it and go through it soberly. So that's my, my uh, look on that. But the first four days were a little, a little tough, you know, I just try to stay busy. You know, I try to go, I'm a Zumba instructor. I try to go to the gym and dance and, you know, have fun and, and stay busy with the kids, which Lord knows their schedule's worse than mine. You know, so I just, I just took every opportunity to be extremely busy those first four days, because I knew it wasn't going to be fun to sit around and have nothing to do would probably, my mind would probably play on itself.
0: Christine, last 80 days, if you had cravings, was there a moment you almost took a drink?
1: No, not, not this time, the, the, you know, before this 80 days, there were times all along those 70 days that I had very strong temptations, but it's almost this time where I'm like, been there, done that, like been there, done that. It's not going to do anything for me. And I think there was a wise man once once in cafe RE that said, you know, I will drink under no circumstance. And I take that to mean it doesn't matter. No reason. There is no reason at all to drink. So I just, that's my motto too, is just to say, you know what, if I'm celebrating, if I'm mourning, if I'm doing whatever, there's no reason that I should be putting a drink. Maybe I should have a, you know, a a sparkling water or something else instead to celebrate.
0: Sure. That reminds me of the episode that dropped on June 20th with Philip K. He talks about the the no matter what club. Yeah. That's who I'm referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Because I recall before I joined the no matter what club with alcohol, there was always like some internal line, like I'm not drinking yeah. unless shit gets above this, you know, get this, it's yep. this bad or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and and Christy, in his last 80 days or the last 70 days as well, what have been yeah. some resources that have helped you?
1: Oh, it's so good. There is a book that I'm currently reading by Michael Anthony called Unbroken, um, which is super good because he's it's dealing with the the whole trauma aspect. Of, of sobriety and kind of how you process trauma counseling is huge for me it's huge 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 and like I said I'm about to do this uh, I know I'm going to butcher it but it's like MDR I can't remember it's like this this going deep into the the extreme episodes of what I've dealt with Uh, of trauma and actually kind of reliving it a little bit, but in order to kind of make strides to go through it and to kind of put it behind me. I have a lot of things that I need to kind of go through and then put behind me. So uh, counseling is huge for me. um, And I have a great counselor that I I totally respect and trust. Cafe RE is huge for me as well. And I think servicing Cafe RE. So I try to lead some of the, the chats when I can, because I get so much out of it. And it also held, holds me accountable. It's an accountability thing for me. And uh, the gym is huge as well because I have to book my time when I'm going to be in the gym. Again, accountability is for me. Um, yeah, there's tons of, tons of podcasts are out there available. Tons of books are available. Tons of quitlets. Yeah, there's just so much that's available in our fingertips to be able to, uh, to keep forward.
0: Now, do you go strength. to AA in Denmark?
1: No, they have online. uh, They actually have one in downtown. It would be quite a a hike to get down there for English speaking. Let me say it that way. There's tons in Danish. But there is some that are online because of the whole COVID thing happened. They had to kind of revamp the AA. So every so often, if I can't jump on a Cafe RE because of the time difference, sometimes I'll just find their catalog. They have tons of online ones. And I'll just jump onto one of the favorites that I have there. I don't really, I kind of listen. Uh, I'm not a real active participant in it, uh, but I do listen and, and get some nuggets of gold as well as Smart Recovery uh, is another one that I listen to online. And they have some really good things and they actually have a workbook that you kind of work through some of your visualization of, of how you can help your recovery. You know, what are your triggers and you kind of write things down. So for me, that's really helpful as well. I try to attend some of their meetings online.
0: Gotcha. And, and, and yep. Christy, what is, what's something you've learned about yourself along the way?
1: That it's okay not to be strong all the time. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be normal. It's okay to not be superwoman. I was called the rock for many years because I had this shell of an out, outter- uh, you know, exterior because I was strong for everyone else and I didn't allow myself to kind of break down when I needed to, right? Show my emotions and be vulnerable. And I think it's okay to do that. And it's, I've also learned that it's okay to lean on my husband. Uh, he's there for that reason. And, and when I lean on him, he really respects that. He, he really honors the fact that I do that, that I trust him for that. But I, again, felt like I had this shell that I couldn't be vulnerable. I couldn't be weak, right? You can't be weak. But it's okay to. It's normal. It's natural. It's what you should do. It's it's who I am. And in order to process it, sometimes you have to cry. Sometimes you have to yell. Sometimes you have to get really angry, right? And that's okay.
0: In order to process it, sometimes you have to cry. You have to be angry. You have to let your body do what your body knows how to do to release those stored emotions. Like the analogy that I made earlier, which didn't quite connect the dots, about the submarine. (laughs) I read this, uh, your body's like a submarine where sometimes you're, you will carp compartmentalize emotions and your body will shut off. It'll just like a submarine taking on water. It will stop. It will close off yeah. parts of your body, cellularly store the emotions, but your body knows how to release it. It's us getting in the way saying, stop. I don't need to be vulnerable. Yeah. I need to be strong. I like how you said that mm. Christy, before we get to the rapid fire round, I want to talk to you about your anxiety a little bit more in these last 80 days. How has that been? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, Paul, it's been amazing. It's been so good. One, I think the counseling is at the right time for me to actually be, you know, have nothing going on with the alcohol in order for me to process this and have the talks about it and be sober while I'm having these talks uh, about my anxiety. But it is amazing how I don't have the anxiety. I, it's just, I went on a flight. I, I actually, it was not even a month ago. I went to Spain and I thought, and, and I had done some work with my counselor ahead of time to kind of say, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> the last time I got on a plane, it was kind of a, you know, it was not a good experience. So we worked through some visualization and kind of how to work through that. i would read some books about planes and pilots had, uh, you know, given some good uh, questions and answers. But I got on that plane and I had those resources, but I did not feel any anxiety. It was a beautiful flight. It was the most enjoyable thing I've ever experienced. And on the way home, the same thing. And I was just at awe at the fact that, you know, I'm not on medication. I, I don't have any alcohol. I didn't need alcohol to get on a plane, right? I didn't need alcohol to be calm and collected. That was, I, I needed the opposite, right? I needed that poison removed from my body in order for me to work the way that I should work and for my chemical balance in my, my brain to be as it should be. And it's been great. It's been a great experience that, and, you know, counseling and going to the gym, having those endorphins released, you know, having that happy juice when you work out, those are always happy things as well, or, or help with the anxiety as well. So I think the anxiety is, uh, it's been my number one, you know, metal, I would say around my neck is that I don't carry this burden of anxiety Mm. anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is so good to hear. Hey, Christy, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds, that would be great. Are (laughs) you ready?
1: Absolutely.
0: All right, Christy. Number one, what's the one thing that's helped you the most departing from alcohol? My family. All right. Love it. Number two, what is a memorable moment a life without alcohol has provided you?
1: My son looking at me and telling me that he's so happy he has his mother back.
0: All right, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink?
1: I love, it's called lemon, limonata. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a San Pellegrino lemon drink. It's, I, there should be a support group for that because that is my favorite thing to go to.
0: Yeah, San Pellegrino's got some great beverages I'm as of late.
1: It.
0: All right, yeah. next question. What is the point of life, Christy? Ready, go.
1: Point of life is to live your fullest and to give to others and to receive the messages and the gifts that you are entitled to.
0: What's your favorite 80s or 90s band?
1: Dave Matthews band, totally. Is that 80s or 90s? I don't know, but they're my favorite, so. Yeah,
0: I think you're <laughs> the 90s there. Great band. What okay. are some of your favorite resources, Christy?
1: FARE definitely, like I said, smart recovery is really good too. If you need some kind of writing stuff down, counseling. I love uh, all the podcasts that are out there. Just go out to the Apple store or the pod store and just Google recovery. You'll find so many things out there. And there's so many quick lit books, you know, um, Alcohol Explain, Alcohol is Shit, all of those great books that are out there as well. You know, just absorb them and take them in and you can get nuggets of gold out of all of them.
0: Christy, what has recovery made possible for you?
1: A life without anxiety.
0: Christy, if you had a pet ladybug, what would you name it?
1: Pet lady? Strawberry.
0: Mm, I like it. <laughs> what is your favorite pizza topping?
1: Uh, fresh mozzarella.
0: Okay, Buffalo last, mozzarella. All right. Last question. What parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners?
1: Don't be hard on yourself. Take one day at a time and love yourself through this entire process, because loving yourself will take you much further than hating yourself for having shame
0: Christy one last question here before we depart give listeners your own customize you might need to ditch the booze if line
1: you might need to say goodbye to booze if you use your evening walks with the dog to go to the liquor store and get alcohol to be so inebriated that you actually leave your dog in front of the store tied up just to have the dog delivered back to your home
0: yikes that's a good one (laughs) I love that that's 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 up there. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) What was your dog's name?
1: Lulu. And she's sitting right next to me.
0: Lulu. Oh, they they, they always love us. They (laughs) do. Christy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I enjoyed getting to know you and your journey. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it.
0: Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. I had something totally different with the outro planned, but I want to go back to this damn printer. I actually had to take like 30 minutes off before coming back to this episode, more specifically that tightness in the chest. It's almost preconditioned, right? With printers and, and, and everybody has their own printer. Maybe yours is a printer. When I say printer, something that, that can give you anxiety or just upset you when you hear the word printer or a paper jam or things like that. But I had to go outside. I sat in a chair. And, uh, as I, and also, as I said in this episode, and with the universe, the timing is just perfect. I also did journal speak as needed. This time it was like two to three minutes on a Word document before I started recording this. I started asking questions. I'm like, why do I let this Epson, I think it was a 4630 series. uh, No, this is a Hewlett Packard now. Why do I let my HP OfficeJet 4630 piss me off so much, right? The serenity prayer. I I really can't control when the printer is going to jam or F up. I can control if it's full of ink or not, but that process just gets me every time as well. So I just wanted to comment on that. I think the timing of this with the, with the universe, as I'm commenting about a printer, recalling a story when, when I was 22 with with my manager writing on the printer in a red Sharpie. And I remember looking over his shoulder, watching this go down to say, oh my gosh, he's actually writing on the piece of plastic. This printer is a total effing piece of shit. But I get it, right? This this manager was practicing something uh, and slowing down his brain, slowing down his thoughts because, yeah, he destroyed the printer, but it could have been the wall next. It could have been the printer or the, or the computer next. So, again, I do believe that's progress, not perfection. But I had to do journal speak before hitting record on this in, uh, in a Word doc. So, And then after that, I just hit Command-A. I deleted it because I don't need it anymore. Those are just energetic currents that aren't serving me, that I, that I don't need. Alcohol was fantastic at shortcutting those, but alcohol didn't allow me to get them out. It just pushed them down. So we need to find other ways to let those roll, let those flow. It's not always fun. It can be painful. It's not always comfortable, but it's part of life, right? Okay. And one more thing, guys. I believe in you. I believe in the listener. I do. You guys can do this. So Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.